Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Get ready to cheer on Team USA. Sign up for Xfinity Internet and get a Flex 4K streaming box free and Peacock Premium included. Can your internet do that? Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Peacock subscription required. Xfinity, proud partner of Team USA. Now, you're very welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown, the podcast that looks at the stats, XG, and performance of Celtic FC. If you missed our season ender podcast with the 20 Minute Tims, you can get that over on their Patreon page. It's 20 Minute Tims. We're going to be doing something similar here today, except we're going to be taking a more broad look at the club and how the club performed over the course of the season and judging whether or not it was a good or bad season. I'm pretty sure we know the answer to that already. But. There is breaking news, and if you've been listening to the podcast over the last couple of weeks, you would have heard us saying multiple times, Eddie Howe is not confirmed yet. Well, the news is, as of today, that the Eddie Howe deal has collapsed. That's according to the Daily Mail. Eddie Howe will not be the next Celtic manager after months of talks. And Celtic are now two weeks away from pre-season training with no manager, despite getting rid of Neil Lennon in February of this year. So, Al Morrison, Celtic Bank Numbers, and Jaco James... It's a, It's been a fun day. It's never a dull day when it comes to Celtic. It's yeah, never been. Happy Friday. <laughs> happy Friday to all the Celtic fans out there. Alan, your thoughts on this? I mean, it's embarrassing, really. Yeah, it is. It is. It just when you thought it couldn't get worse, right? I mean, it's just astonishing. Haven't, frankly. haven't we been saying that all season? <laughs> <laughs> how can, how laugh, can right? it get worse? <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and it's gone beyond coincidence, right? You know, decision-making at the top level within the club. And this is now the the apex of it, um, a situation where, as you said, a manager was sacked in February. We're now two, three weeks, call it, away from pre-season training, uh, you know, three months later. And suddenly a deal which everybody seemed confident was going to happen. I mean, I was actually personally quite confident and the, and the basis of my confidence wasn't some superb in the knownness. It was actually the, the absence of chatter about anybody else. There wasn't much talk or rumour or about any other um, person being approached or being in the frame or any suggestion that things were going wrong. And if, if as it seems, it's down to the inability for how to get the backroom staff that he wanted I just find that an astonishing situation because, you know, anybody that's done any recruitment at any level, you, you, you know, when you look someone in the eye, when you meet someone in the room, you know, and you get sent, you, you sense what their motivators are, especially for a senior executive position like this. You, you talk to people, you get the background, you know, not just, not just from, from, you know, how himself, but also the, the, the people that, he wants to bring in because they're clearly a key dependency on getting the deal over the line. And for it to drag on this long and no one to have either twigged or, or, or if Celtic have just played along on in the hope that it'll all work out all right, it's just negligent because it's, you know, you, you the football, there's, there's, there's a hundred thousand managers out there in the world. There's plenty of people that, you know, could potentially do a good job at Celtic. If you, if you can't get the deal over the line, set a time frame and then move on. Mm. Don't wait. Don't you've, you've now risked another season. You've now put in jeopardy automatic Champions League qualifications. Think about that. Never mind the fact that the first engagement of, for the new manager is going to be a very difficult Champions League qualifier. 
so it's just it's just the the, the thinking behind this. It's, it's not loyalty. It's not d- decisiveness to say we've picked our guy and we're going to you know stand stand by at hell high water. It's poor business judgment. Simple as that. Mm. I should actually clarify as well that Celtic didn't sack Neil Lennon. I've, I've just been saying that they've sacked him because it feels like they should have sacked him, but he, he actually resigned. So if anybody wants to tweet us angrily, we know he resigned, but he more or less was sacked. Like That's essentially what it came to. Uh, one of the candidates for Celtic's job at the start was Enzo Maresca. He actually got the Parma job uh, last night. It was confirmed. But what this confirms to me for Celtic is that they they didn't have a plan for post-Neil Lennon. They... They didn't. They didn't start talking to people before Neil Lennon was gone. This, they they waited until he was gone and then started recruiting a new manager. And it's taken. It's still taken this long to get them. So again, your lack of foresight from Celtic's point of view in that angle. And then for this, it's just like if the, if the manager wants someone, you get them who he wants. And it's it's the levels that Neil Lennon was operating under that he was not going to get a bigger job than Celtic. So he was more than happy to take this job without getting his own backroom team. But if you want someone with the CV and the uh, the stock of Eddie Howe, you need to go out and get him who he wants to bring to the club. And that seems to be what the falling off point off this deal is and why it's falling apart. James, what's your thoughts on this? Well, I'm... I'm uh... As far as breaking news goes, I was doing yard work just this this Friday morning my time on a holiday weekend. So this is Memorial Day weekend in the U.S. So I was out doing uh, yard work, uh, came back in, jumped in a cold shower so I didn't look quite as flush as I usually do. And um, so you guys broke the news to me actually just before we went live. So I, I was like, the reason why I'm not looking at the camera even more so than usual is because I'm, I'm looking over here and trying to catch up on all of the breaking news. Um, I, it, it's completely unsurprising to me. Uh, you know, the, 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 the amount of um, incompetence that's been on display this uh, season has been stunning. I mean, just stunning. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I've, in my, in my post Farage Faro's threat, thread i talked about how risk tends to um unfold in a non-linear way in a feedback loop right and again this gets into technical stuff i won't get into specifically but the idea that chaos starts to ensue is is pretty normal when you get the kind of pent-up risk factors that we had and one of the big levers here is um, people's brains break. You know, they, they, they literally go into things like cognitive dissonance and you, the ability to make good sound decisions in the midst of high pressure um, is very difficult. And um, this has been, you know, a series of bad decisions that has unfolded um, really since August because Number one, I think the people in charge have had inflated sense of self. Uh, I've called it the misattribution problem, which is, you know, because of the the domestic success in Scotland, um, there's been all of this kind of, um, you know, I, I call it faux dominance, right? So we've been dominating over a league that didn't really have a huge amount of competition. And we've won a lot of trophies, yes. But there's a reason why the barometer in Europe has been so poor, and it's because the club has not been run well um, in the last, relatively speaking, meaning that if you look at relative to what's going on in the industry, in this modernization wave that's taken place in the last five, six, seven years, we've been woeful. And um, this is you know, this is reflective of, a, of senior management that does not understand the industry that they're um, taking part in at this point, the fact that a manager was at the center of the rebuild is is the biggest example of that. Um, I've been harping about this since February, basically when this first started. To you know, the talk of how and really the you know the the, the first talk of far as Harkin maybe being the target and director of football in this restructure. So I think like ten in a row, they came into this season with a plan. The plan was. We were going to win 10 in a row. And then John Kennedy was going to be uh, the next manager. 
And it was going to be this nice, orderly passing of the baton from Neil Lennon to John Kennedy. And, you know, uh, you'd have Nikki Hammond running football operations and everything was going to be fine. And then all of this risk boiled up, chaos ensued, and the level of decision making has been a disaster within that context. Um, so I, completely unsurprising to me mm-hmm. and maybe for different reasons. I, I, my, my thought the whole time was that it didn't make any sense that Howe would come to Celtic and have to answer to a director of football like Harkin. Um, but if it, you know, if it was the support staff, backroom staff, not willing to move up into Glasgow, you know, who knows, but the whole fact that this has all been built around a manager, like a uh, Brendan Rogers 2.0 attempt is to me was, you know, reflective of archaic ideas and poor management. But yeah. having, 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 you know, mooted the notion that a director of football was going to be appointed and then not to appoint that person and then to, to, to build everything around a manager who seemingly is insistent on having specific backroom stuff. It's just, it's all the wrong way around. Mm. You know, the, you, you, you've got to have a strategy to begin with and then you've got to deliver on your strategy. And you do that in an, in an orderly way. You would surely get your director of football in first, and then you'd think about what are the structures we need to make the operation football operation successful. There's no evidence any of that is happening. It's just lip service. It's just sticking a title on somebody. I mean, that, that's a nonsense, right? Yeah, well, if, you're given, if you're getting a director of football, then he's a guy who is in search of the first-team coach, not Dermot Desmond. So that's you need the director of football working with the manager, working with the head coach. Otherwise, it just doesn't work. So it it would be literally lip service to that title for Fergal Harkin if Eddie Howe was coming in with all of his own staff anyway because he wouldn't want to be working under a director of football. He'd want to be the guy bringing in his players. And that's just not how that system works. Well, and that, that's what I've been saying for months now. It's it's To me, it didn't make any sense for either of Howe or Harkin to accept the reality of working at a club that's, you know, let's call it run by Dermot Desmond, who seems to have been active. You know, we've discussed this before. The fact that Desmond was talking to Lennon regularly, Mm. that's never a good sign. (laughs) Um, Particularly because Desmond's shown himself not to be, you know, he's not the guy that, that runs Brentford, the owner at Brentford, you know, um, so the ideas that he laid out in that athletic article uh, interview back in September, I mean, it was just shocking some of the stuff. I mean, like 1950s type of thinking in, in certain things. So um, I, why would Harkin come with that power struggle? Why would how come? You know, it, it, it never made sense to me relative to the dynamics. Uh, um, and. and this goes back to also, I mean, the, the idea that Eddie Howe was some kind of savior or even a Rogers 2.0, I think, was silly. So for them to have identified him as the manager type to be willing to sacrifice um, structural reforms and really building for the future, you know, I, from what I've done on my own research and analysis, I mean, Howe looks like a good manager, but you know, he, uh, m- most of that excellence was done just as the industry was starting to change rapidly. And that, that's the good, good enough that you basically piss away three months. Waiting. Exactly. No, 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 no nobody, mean, nobody is right. Nobody, nobody, exactly. nobody that Celtic are going to get. That's the point. That yeah. Risk. It's not like Conti's <laughs> walking through the door or, you know, it's yeah. somebody that's, you know, has a proven track record of making major differences in, in as a manager, I meaning that making decisions in a really effective way where they, you know, really uh, drive performance upgrades. So I I never understood it. It didn't make sense. And now, you know, it's, I, I guess now they'll scramble to install Harkin because now I would think the equation is going to tilt towards Harkin being the power center. I, I'd be shocked if that ne- doesn't get announced quickly because the, the the PR on this is going to be a disaster. Um, and, and then whether they, you know, they're going to install somebody else, I would think relatively quickly, whoever that might be, you know, who the rumors are flying. I, again, that's what I was looking over the, the national coach of Australia's uh, 
And uh, you mentioned Patrick Vieira. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I really hope it's not Patrick Vieira. <laughs> Patrick Vieira is is just a, a Roy Keane, but former Arsenal. Like this is the, uh, what what this is for me is just embarrassing because, I mean, the, the we probably should have been worried when the club were tweeting about season tickets and are saying that we had hoped to have a manager installed by this point. <laughs> like I like I, I retweeted it with the picture of the guy protesting saying our expectations were low, but holy fuck. Like that <laughs> that is that's where I'm at with Celtic. Like every single time I'm like, I had no no you have you've destroyed my standards, but I'm still surprised by how badly you've done this. So that's that, that's where we're at with the manager situation. <laughs> we might have a manager in the next two weeks before the season actually starts. So we'll, we might return to that and do a pod once a manager is actually installed because we do want to talk about the season. And I suppose this this decision, this Eddie Howe situation, it sums up exactly why this season was such a shit uh, shit show in the first place because the I mean the planning the. Uh, cohesion within the entire structure of Celtic Football Club is just a mess. So I guess we'll start with the very start of the season and that's transfers. So Celtic brought in Barkas for Nets. They made sure they kept Odson Edward for another year. Uh, El Yunusi stayed at the club for another year. There wasn't a huge amount of ins and outs. It was essentially they brought in they brought in a couple of players to help them towards the ten in a row, but I know that both of you were not very impressed with the signings because of the idea around the structure and the team and the formation. So I guess we'll start there, Alan. What were the warning signs for you when Celtic were buying in for the new season? Me, 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 but also you. The Pharaoh fast-forwards his favorite foreign film, Powder Donut. Okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm going to need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl and afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So uh, the, the, the concern was, obviously, the sort of spine of the team. Um, uh, and, and it was starting from the goalkeeper, right? So Forrester Forrest had been a hugely uh, influential figure for the team. He'd, he'd arguably been the difference between Europa League qualification and not, and arguably, uh, well, I don't even know if it's arguable, to be fair, he won, won the League Cup, um, you know, and all of the good good feeling that, that that brings and the momentum that that brings to the side. And clearly, you know, he was a player who, as the as the games got bigger, he he seemed to perform at a higher level. And so it was, and it was obvious as well that Lennon wanted uh, Forrester back. Uh, and it looked like, you know, with his his situation at Southampton, he'd go back. He would be on the bench again. Is that really where he wanted to be? All the mood music I heard was again. He's very happy. He loves he loves Celtic. He loves working with Steve Woods. Therefore, you know, sh- surely something could be worked out. And for whatever reason, uh, that never happened. And and it seemed like we were kind of on the back foot on that fundamental position, and we end up rather than rather than accepting the fact that given that Forster has been third choice at Southampton in the time, you know there are probably a lot of goalkeepers that are pretty decent <laughs> sitting around kicking around football not being used. Do you need to go and spend five million on a goalkeeper? I don't think so. I think you could probably pick one up from La Liga or the English Premier League or anywhere. Who's, who's you know not not figuring in the first team? Who's keen to make him make a make a move? I mean, the guy that that Aston Villa signed was it Martinelli? Is it, I can't remember. Is it Martinez? Martinez. It was at Arsenal forever on the bench, and then suddenly became a hero in the, the cup cup run, and then uh, you know he had a good season for Villa. There's bound to be other players like that knocking about, and and it never it never felt like Lennon was bought into uh, Barkas, and that was that was what concerned me. He never even started first game of the season. Bain Bain was in goal. <laughs> and then Barkas was in goal, and it just—it's just smacked of indecision from day one. And uh, and and, and through, you know that, that that was the goalkeeper situation. We then we then you know looked at the, the other other pieces. The other other warning signs for me was was Edward staying because you know it, it felt like it was probably a, a, on the back of a fantastic season, and with um, you know two years left on his contract would be the classic moment to to cash in. 
And, and for me, that I, I would have you know been perfectly happy with that. I don't want to lose Edward, but let's be sensible here. He's not going to be Callum McGregor. He's not going to be here in six, seven years' time, right? The guy's going to go and play for a, a top side, and Celtic could have got a lot of money for him, and that would have that money would have then you know bought three, two or three really good players. You know, we we, we did well with Julian, uh, you know, we, and we did well with Edward uh, in, in in when we bought him. These are the two recent examples where Celtic have spent you know, the two record transfer deals, and they both paid off. We, we've got what we paid for. Could have bought another couple of players of, of that of that 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 ilk. So, so this whole sort of keeping the squad together piece sounded great. Sounded like oh, the Celtic are really committing and going going all in here. But actually, in the back of your mind, you're thinking, well, do they really want to be here? I mean, you know, if, if they've been told we're not selling you at any cost, that's not going to be a motivator as such. I don't think. So 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 the transfer in assessing the transfers, I was as concerned with the transfers that didn't happen as much as the ones that. That did, um, and then and then as we you know we, we we then we spent a lot of money on players actually you know Barkas was around five million four and a half Ajeti was the same, and Ajeti you know was again was a player languishing in the English reserves he'd got a bit of a run at West at um, West Ham never really scored many goals for them they, they thought he was decent he's young which was good but again it, it didn't it wasn't obvious how he fitted into any particular style of play, especially as we always also had Klamala, which is another signing that never made any sense for the way that Celtic play. And then Turnbull. Turnbull was brought in a year after, recovering from a long operation, but at least he started to play again for Motherwell. But then we didn't see him for six months, as if, again, Lennon didn't didn't trust him. So th- those transfers felt like, uh, and, you know, and, and actually Ajeti, to come back to Ajeti and Klamala, they actually played a fair few minutes in the early games of the season, mainly as substitutes, but they came on. They both scored, and, and you know, strikers breed on confidence, breed on scoring goals, and then suddenly they weren't trusted anymore. Mm. And it, it just, there was just no, didn't see any sort of you know, cohesion or thinking seeming to running through those transfers. And then, and then it just got worse and worse. I mean, the El Yunusi, bringing El Yunusi back kind of made sense. He'd done okay. He came back and he actually improved. He was one player who probably improved over the season, year on year. But then, you know, the sort of panic buys at the end of the elongated transfer window that ran into the end of September was to bring in, uh, you know, after Julian uh, had a couple of injuries, was to bring in Duffy and Laxall. And that absolutely just killed the structure of the defence and just completely the wrong players uh, for, 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 for the way that Celtic play. So, you know, all in all, the transfers were just... In, well, we use the word incoherent a lot. Um, they were so bad that I've seen many people on Twitter and so forth saying, oh, we should never have got rid of Hayes and Samunovic and Craig Gordon. <laughs> I mean, it's got to be pretty bad where, you, where mm. your cognitive dissonance <laughs> kicks in to such an extent you think keeping those guys would have been a good idea. <laughs> but that's how bad it was. <laughs> yeah, that's... I've, I've actually... I have seen some people saying that, that you know, we should 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 have kept them. James, this comes into a wider discussion that we've had multiple times about the formation and what Celtic were trying to do this year. Because at times they were playing the diamond, at times they were playing 43-1. But it seemed, at the start of the season at least, they were building for a 3-5-2 that never really took any shape because of who they brought in. This is where my... Um opinions are rank speculation so i'll caution in advance uh that this is the case and i'll just get the lawyers on the line here hang on yeah yeah no, no nothing uh, hopefully nothing illegal but or slanderous but um i think that the conception date of the lenity frankenstein uh, as as people uh you know they've called it lenity i call it a frankenstein because i think it was a, a an unnatural um merger uh, or attempted merger of the Rogers ethos of uh, kind of possession centric controlling of a game and then trying to uh, freshen that up, shall we say, with uh, Lennon's preference for um, directness and, and speed um, and getting forward. And in the 2 0 loss to Rangers at towards the end of 1819 um, in, in Lennon's caretaker. Um, tenure. Uh, the game started in, in three five two, and uh, that was kind of the first major um, uh, uh, emergence of that under 
Lennon um, in, in his return. And when we started back then for 1920, we, we went through a very, uh, very cohesive, um, understandable recruitment window for a system um, and out, outside of Brown continuing in the role, a misplaced role in the four, two, three, one, everything else made sense. Every other recruitment piece, that window made sense relative to the system. We came into the season looking like we were going to play, which is four, two, three, one slash four, three, three. And then, um, and in fairness to Lennon, uh, Rogers had problems with, uh, Gerard's four, three, three system in, in that last season. Um, even before Rogers' departure, meaning that the the competitions in the two derbies prior to Rogers leaving were were relatively even, even though um, Rangers had a talent deficit. Um, so I, my my theory is that after the Cup final, um, where we squeaked by and won because of Forster, um, we won two nil at Ibrox in the first derby, but that was really because of a tactical ambush rather than playing a system. Um, where, where it probably wasn't going to work more than once in the way that Celtic approached that game. Uh, and then the 29th of December, where we lost 2-0 at home, to me what happened was Lennon probably, you know, asserted himself a little more and saying, we need, I want to do go a different direction. And, and that's where this game plan of 3-5-2 kind of came in. And we that's we came out of the, the winter break having installed this as the kind of the primary system. Um, I think that's probably what the game plan was going to be going into the last derby. That was not the last, but the, what would have been probably been the second to last prior to uh, the lockdowns. Uh, and then entering the season, that seemed to be um, what was going to be the game plan is again, making three, five, two, uh, the, the priority in the primary system. And, and that's why I even said it at the time to me, the Alianusi Resigning didn't make any sense given that likely being the case. Uh, pretty much everyone else in the window does make sense relative to going three five two, mm-hmm. uh, going with Duffy having a you know I don't think he's a good fit was never a good fit even within a three five two but um, you know another high end let's call it uh, center back to fill out a three you know to, the idea that you were going to have either Julian Iyer or Duffy on the bench. Uh, systemically for the season, you know, probably not credible given the amount of money um, invested in each of the three. A jetty, if you're going to sign him, makes more sense as a second striker, you know, kind of as a replacement, quote unquote, for Griffiths rather than a, an, uh, a single striker in, in a 4 2 3 1. Um, you know, the, the kind of hybrid wing backs that we ended up signing. Um, so, yeah, and then that all falls apart and, and we kind of go back and forth and, and it, again, it comes, it turns into chaotic, incoherent vacillation between systems and, and uh, I, I, them not really understanding or being able to cognitively accept the core of the problems. And they kept trying to tweak things that weren't the problems. They tried, they kept trying to solve things through changing systems, swapping out certain people, and they they just weren't able to address the core of the problem. And yeah. it was basically just shuffling the chairs on the decks of the Titanic. Um and and the recruitment, you know, I I, I three five two would have been okay with a, a couple of tweaks. Um but they didn't make them. They weren't willing to make them. And 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 that uh that introduced all these problems that Alan's talked about. Uh, and I'm, I'm eventually going to file a copyright for you, Alan, on toxic combinations. <laughs> um, and, and that's basically what ensued, whether it was in three, five, two, whether it was in four, two, three, one, is that the style of play relative to the people and the pieces and how they fit together were systemically flawed, regardless of shape. And um, they never addressed it except for nine games. Yeah. yeah, from yeah, yeah. from uh, December through, you know, basically November into December, early uh, through December into early January. Mm-hmm. Um, and guess what? The team performed at w- near the highest level that it performed in the entire, you know, kind of 
post Dyla era um, for that nine game run. Yeah. I remember at the time looking at the team and wondering how a group of professional coaches at any level could not see that playing three, five, two with two fullbacks like Laxalt and Frimpong bombing forward, basically not being back at all, basically playing as wingers with Brown in the middle, working as your legs and Shane Duffy as the right side of the three at the back, how they didn't see or couldn't see that might, might have an issue dealing with pace, might have an issue dealing with balls in behind the, ball, the defense a little bit, because that's what it was. It was almost every time you see Celtic being picked apart over the course of the season, it was, it wasn't some massive build up play from unbelievable sides. It was three passes and they were through on goal. And you're wondering, you're like, how can how can you get to the level of managing Celtic and not see that that is a fundamental flaw with your team? The result of that is August twenty sixth, beaten by Hungarian side Frank Faros to get knocked out of Champions League, go into the Europa League, and the first derby defeat comes in October two nil. Then from that moment on, Celtic lose three one to AC Milan, four one to Sparta Prague twice lost to Ross County, drew with Hibs, drew Aberdeen, out of the Europa League, out of the League Cup, out of the Champions League. Um, by November, the league is essentially over as well. And you're thinking, there must be a turning point at some point. There must be a turning point. They went through that purple patch then where in late, I think it was mid-November to Christmas, they went on an eight-game winning streak, didn't lose a game. And then after Christmas, the first derby defeat happens, then Dubai happens, and then it's spiraling and it's spiraling and it's spiraling. It just keeps getting worse. Let's talk about Dubai because there's been a lot of post-Dubai discussion, post-league discussion, sort of hindsight discussion around Dubai, especially because of what happened in Georgia Square after the Rangers' uh, title win and the destruction caused there and the COVID issues there and the parties with the Rangers players. I don't like to get into a he said, she said debate when it comes to this because just because Rangers do, do it does not mean that it was okay for Celtic to do it. Just because Celtic did it does not mean it was okay. Both wrong. But what Celtic did in Dubai at that period of time where we're no closer to a vaccine, the cases are going crazy after Christmas there's people still dying at a massive rate in the UK. They're 20 points behind Rangers. They've just lost the the derby match, and then they fly off to Dubai, resulting in 13 players being uh, left out of the team, made for, forced out of the team because Christopher Julian tests positive on the way back, so close contacts were considered, and 13 players were missing for two games, two weeks, and the season's over. So... Me, 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 but also you... The Pharaoh fast-forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh, man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm going to need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus. The Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool. Only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Been thinking about McDonald's all day. Can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal. There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's. Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50. Mix and match a classic McChicken, a hot and spicy McChicken, or a juicy McDouble. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. Can you surmise that? into one answer, Alan, in your opinion of how bad that Dubai was. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't conf- conflate the two incidents that you mentioned. I think there are massive differences. But it, because, you know, what Celtic did wasn't illegal. It was just enormously misjudged, uh, you know, and, and misjudged isn't trying to water it down. It was it, because it was actually, it killed any um, remaining momentum that the season may have, have had, which wasn't a lot by that stage. Um it was an, an enormous failure of corporate governance and risk management uh, to not, as well as on a very fundamental and most importantly, human level, 
having you know the country was uh, was just about to enter another extended sort of lockdown that all the writing was on the cards that that, that was going to happen that's the way it was moving you know uh, the 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 UK, the UK government was adamant that people were going to get together for christmas but the, all the signs were that after that it was going to go backwards again and so you know with that 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 mood music both in the country and as you mentioned in terms of the context of how the team were performing the mood music amongst the support what everyone was having to deal with to you know but but also just on a practical level just as a practical level of organizing a group of uh, employees to undertake a venture like that in the context of a global pandem- pandemic, it, 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 to me, you would just you'd write off whatever costs you'd accrued on that, and just say, "Look, guys, not only is this very, very risky, it's actually the wrong thing to do," and 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 we'll just leave it at that. And and that that's not that's, you know that's not hindsight. That's what we said at the time. Um, you know, it just was just the wrong it was the wrong thing to do on all levels, from a corporate responsibility level, from a risk management perspective, and from a human at a human level and a moral level. And as you mentioned, we, whether we fell upon this from a football perspective, whether we fell upon this diamond formation, Sorrow and Turnbull being introduced, and and a coherence where suddenly players like McGregor and Christie were freed up to play play roles that they were suited to doing, and and Edward had a partner, and and the fullbacks were were given um, a little bit more um, less rain, I suppose. Uh, that all that all worked and that all made sense, but all that was absolutely thrown out the window by by the post Dubai uh, you know debacle, and then, you know Brown came almost straight back into the team as soon as he he got, I think he had a little bit of a knock either side of the New Year, um, but we but, you know we'd had those two games where we had to field pretty much a kind of you know completely incoherent <laughs> an undeliberate incoherent team if you see if you know what i mean and uh, youngsters and so forth and, and it just it just absolutely stopped any momentum dead and and you know what you know i don't want to be sort of victim blaming here but kind of celtic got the luck that they deserved i mean the scottish government changed the rules sort of almost mid you know post celtic's return flight which caught 15 people having to isolate you know that wasn't Celtics doing. I mean, the you talked about the the George Square piece. I mean, the the dis, the, the the differential between how different football clubs seemingly have been treated throughout this whole COVID crisis is is, is instructive and worthy of uh, you know further analysis, definitely. But in some respects, you know, we, Celtic have made their own their own luck in that respect by making really bad decisions. And um, and guess what? Some of these risks materialised. Mm. Yeah, I, I guess my main point on that would be that. You know, you shouldn't have to rely on the rules to know this is a bad decision. It shouldn't. It shouldn't come down to whether it was legal. It should come down to is this the right thing to do based upon football reasons, moral reasons, and the answer was no. Uh, I thought I still I I thought it was disgraceful at the time, and I think I still think it was disgraceful despite what's happened. And I don't I I don't care about them. I don't care. <laughs> it, it makes no difference to me. I, I only care about Celtic and what they're what's happening there. Uh James, your thoughts on this? I know you at the time it was about a risk management situation as well and the lack of uh understanding what the risk slash uh sort of result might have been for this. Yeah, so it, it it's it's it was such a moronic decision. Moronic. Because what was the upside? So that what's we saw what the downside was, uh, and and thank goodness it wasn't a super spreader event where or, or somebody got seriously ill or had myocarditis or you know something cataclysmic, but it was a pretty bad scenario that unfolded. So I think the obvious question, or you know, should be an obvious question, is well, what's the upside if everything goes well, right? So forget about even the the pathetic. PR aspect of it and and the terrible decision making relative to the morality of it. But what was the upside that the club was going to enjoy for having done this? And this is where I go back to just ridiculous levels of incompetence, which is, you know, somehow Dubai quote unquote worked in the past um, that, you know, the, the team would be uh, go through a, renew, a renewal as it came back from Dubai. And for a grand total of a sample of two seasons in a row, Rangers suffered and didn't perform well after um, 
uh, Celtic had been in Dubai, as if there was some kind of mystic connection between these and that this Hail Mary was going to be a last attempt to try and do something to save the season and save the 10. Uh, not looking at an analysis of saying, well, you know, Rangers squad depth was inferior to Celtic the last two seasons and they had a rash of injuries post uh, uh, winter break last season, just normal variants. You know, Alan and I have harped on how Rangers have enjoyed positive variants this season and outperformed their XG differential and that type of thing. Well, after the break of Dubai last in, and I, I have to get used to this now, two seasons ago of 1920, you know, Morello scored on zero of 35 shots in the league after Dubai. And, and, and that was on an XG per game level that was similar to what Edward had posted pre pre Dubai or pre winter break for Celtic, which was a good level. I mean, it's, it wasn't as good as afterwards, but we're not talking about um, Morello's playing horribly and not getting in good scoring positions during this period. He just had a really bad stretch of form, bad variance. Hmm. Um, so, no, Th- those couldn't be reasons. Uh, it was because of the mystic connection of this, the winter training camp in Dubai. That is just so ridiculous um, that this level of decision-making w- was, was taking place. And, and, and then the debacle of you know, how the club managed the process coming back, uh, the, the, you know, the hostage video of Scott Brown, uh, the Peter Lawwell, whatever that was, and then the absolute shit show of Neil Lennon's uh, press conference after having been stuck in his house for 10 days or whatever it was, and then him coming out just wild. Mm. Um, and you couldn't write. I mean, this was like uh, Tiger King level of nonsense, like just craziness of incompetence and people just lashing out incoherently. I mean, just crazy. I mean, it it deserves a Netflix special as that's how crazy this was. Um, And this, these are the people that are making the, and and this is where the, how blowing up situation completely makes sense within this context. Again, if you go start to finish this season, none of this, is surprising once you see the feedback loop of just absolute nonsense that went on. And this is what we know. Who knows what's been going on behind the scenes? And I, I can almost, you know, I can't guarantee anything, but I'd be shocked if there isn't just suitcases of nonsense that we're probably never going to find out or some of it will find, you know, leak out. Because if this is the stuff that got public, who knows the kind of nonsense that was going on behind the scenes? Because, again, you've got people in a hypercharged environment of stress in the middle of a pandemic um, living horrible. You know, everyone's been living a horrible fo- form of their life for the last year plus, um, more so even in, in Scotland because of the severity of the lockdowns and how extended they've been. Um, so it, it just... stunning stunning amazon prime should have done an all or nothing with celtic rather than spurs because this season would have been box office Uh, they actually did it was the netflix documentary the sunderland one sunderland until i die season two if you watch that i'd say it reminds me of a lot of actually what you were saying there about what what's going on that we don't know about like and there's a scene in that where it's transfer deadline day and Sunderland obviously clearly did not have like a, a long list of people, but one person they wanted was a striker and they wanted Will Grigg. And they started their bid at, like, I'll make up the figures, but this is how extreme it got. They started their bid at 1.5 million, say, for example. And the chairman was absolutely not budging beyond 3 million. That's what he said at the start. It gets to the point where there's two hours left in the in the transfer deadline window and they offer five million for will greg because the chairman was like just go out and do it just like we haven't we haven't planned for this so just go out and do it that's that feels to me what peter lawwell and dermot desmond that's what we're not seeing is that's how the club's been run that they're like they were caught so much on the hop with the brendan rogers stuff they seem to be caught so much on the hop with this eddie house stuff now that it's just like how do you, is it a level of naivety? Is it a level of, 
just, just I don't know incompetence that's beyond where they're running a club the size of Celtic. It's it's it was it's absolutely crazy. The results of this is that Neil Lennon does get sacked or slash resigns in February after a run of form that just doesn't pick up after the Dubai stuff. Then John Kennedy takes over. There's a whole different layer of Celtic under John Kennedy, but the results are still the same. Rangers go on to win the league. Celtic get knocked out in the, in the Scottish Cup by, by Rangers in the semi-final. And it actually leads to uh, St. Johnson oddly winning the double, which is absolutely fantastic for them, to be fair to them. But uh, let's talk about external factors and what potentially might have caused this, because as bad as Celtic are, I don't believe and I don't think anybody on this podcast believes that Rangers are as far ahead as they are in the league table and in points tally. So let's talk about the uncontrollable external factors that affected the season. So I guess Rangers are going to play a, a large chunk of this or role, a large role in this, Alan, in terms of the external uncontrollables that they were overachieving essentially this season. Yeah, I think, you, again, listen, before anyone gets too selective with, with quoting me on this is that you know Celtic have been absolutely the reason that Celtic are in this position is because of Celtic and Celtic people and to your point although we can't know the individual motivators of people and um, what is the most obvious answer the most obvious answer is that you know hubris arrogance complacency are all well documented outcomes from prolonged periods of success and eventually those factors that I've just mentioned uh, take over because what you did nine years ago when you started to win you think you just need to repeat that and, and as James said we go to Dubai because we did it last year and it worked rather than thinking about what is right for us to do today. So that, that, that's, that's, I think, really, really what it, what it is. But as, as, we, as we know, football is a game massively influenced by, by fortune. It's, um, and it's a game where, especially this season more than any, there have been so many external variables at play. And, and Celtic have not deserved, <laughs> have not performed in a way that they deserve the rub of the green or the, the brick of the ball. And they certainly haven't had it in any shape or form. And uh, you know, on the other side of the city, where you've got a, you've had a very well organised, well recruited, well coached side, you know, the, the opposite I think has been has been the case. It's not the most important factor because, as I say, it is the incompetence and incoherence of the way Celtic have been were set up, recruited for, and, and put out on the pitch that was the, the the main factor. But if you look at, for example, just injuries, I mentioned this before. I don't. I think. I don't think people mention enough the impact of not having Christopher Julian for for the majority of the season. I mean, he was Celtic's most uh, experienced and capable defender as a, as a as a pure out out defender. He was a leader of the defence, and and to, to, to lose him and Forster has been a massive, a massive blow. You know, I think Forrest was probably less serious in terms of the way that the team played, but nevertheless, again. He was probably integral to that three-five-two potentially that, that never ever came to fruition this season, or very rarely came to fruition at all. If you look at number of matches lost to injury over the season, and I think I stopped counting maybe ten games before the end of the season, but then by that stage, the season had long finished in terms of materiality. Uh, I think Celtic lost 198 matches uh, worth of players, so 198 appearances that. First team, first first team players could have played, and that was across something like sixteen different in, individuals over the season. Whereas for the Rangers, it was one hundred and twenty-five, I think. So quite a significant difference in matches lost uh, to injury in that extent, and also the key personnel. And as I say, especially Julian, that that probably had a, an impact. What did it did it make the difference in the season? No, I don't think it did, but it, it certainly it didn't help. Um, you look at other externals, uh, we've mentioned expected goals. I mean, the expected goals differential. I mean, Celtic actually were on the right side of fortune, if you want to put it that way, for expected goals. They scored 78, their expected goals in the league was 78. So they scored pretty much at the rate you'd expect them to. But we, they conceded, I think, something like 29 goals in the SPFL. But their expected goals against in the SPFL Celtic was 40. That's how poor Celtic's defence was. So we actually kind of got away with it a little bit defensively. If you look at uh, if you look at the Rangers uh, equivalents, theirs there is, is insane. It's something like um, ninety-two goals. I'm, again, I'm sorry, I'm not being precise, but their expected goals are something like sixty-eight. <laughs> it's just like insane. And then um, you know, I think they conceded something like twelve, fifty, or fifteen goals. But their expected goals against was something like twenty, 
five or something like that. So there's nearly a 40 goal swing in expected goals. So again, these things do matter. And are, are they are they sustainable? Probably not over a long period. Not not that enormous gulf in uh, between expected. So again, I'm I'm using that as I'm, I'm, these are just facts, right? I'm not I'm not mm-hmm. saying. I'm not saying that's uh, good, bad, or different. It's just it's just the way the way it was. And then the final the final piece of I suppose there's the whole again we touched on it really the whole the whole COVID impacts and and Celtic had significant COVID impacts. You know the Bolongoli, uh, you know the Bolongoli breach at the beginning of the season. The, the fact that Christie was uh, taken out of a a derby game, uh, any room shared with with Tierney who wasn't taken out of Arsenal's next fixture. You know we, the, the the whole Dubai thing. The, you know players coming back from international duty. Biton, uh, there, there was a few El Hamid having to isolate as well. Um, and you know, and then the the, the punishments, or, you know, the, the the games that were lost, the postponements that were that were had. And you contrast that, you know, to the almost lack of COVID impacts. And it's uh, you know again that that would have had an impact. It was an external factor. It, only, it seemed to impact one side. More, more than more than others, these all sound like excuses. Like I say, the most important fact was we were rubbish, and we got exactly what we deserved. But all of these factors will will serve to make the gulf look enormous. Uh, and I think what we're saying is we deserve to lose. But is the gulf as big as it as it, as it looked? It probably isn't. Yeah, I guess what we're getting at here is not trying to make excuses for the season no. because essentially what it is is that. You know, Celtic were shit, but I, 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 James, the idea that Rangers are going to be finishing twenty-two points ahead, twenty-three points ahead of Celtic next season because of listen, we'll, we'll pretend that everything's okay at Celtic and it's not going to be another mess. But uh, the the idea that they're going to be so far ahead because of the large chunk of data that we now know that analyzing that shows that they were probably overperforming this year and they won't be as good next year unless they again have another incredibly lucky season in the terms of overachieving. I don't mean they were lucky to win the league. I just mean they were, they were lucky in the sense that they were overachieving to their XG. Yeah, this is uh, so uh, this is not about excuse making. This is about analyzing um, and trying to think about things from a probabilistic perspective. So how do we diagnose what happened, why, and then what does it try to help us in thinking about what the future might uh, entail? And, and the, the the same process that I used that led me to the conclusion that Rangers were a lot closer to Celtic than the 13 points that was uh, in the table the gap uh, when when the league was called um, leads me to believe that 25 is nowhere near as reflective. You know, 13 was way too wide uh, relative to underlying performance. And, and, you know, this is where we stress measuring performance levels is, particularly in football, is completely different than results. And that the disparities there can be dramatic over even season even two seasons, uh, depending on what's going on and why. So, for example, the idea that Lennon's team in 1920 performed significantly better than Rogers' invincible side in 1617, I would argue it was a better team. Mm. Uh, we had better players overall, I think. Um, the wage bill was higher. Um, and... Uh, so I, I think Rangers actually performed better last season. The, 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 the XG differentials certainly support that by, by a large margin. Like it's not even close. Um, Rangers performed really well in, in 1920 and, um, they enjoyed a lot of positive variance this season. So, um, again, that it just happens. Uh, was there an, an inordinate amount of it this season, this past season for Rangers? Yes, like a, a rare level, as Alan said. Uh, if you look at their expected points, right? So it's just, it, again, it's probabilities. It's it's a measurement tool. It's not to say, though, it could have or should have. It's strictly trying to measure things relative to variance. Rangers are about three points better than Celtic this season. 
even with all of the mess that that um, Celtic had. Uh, and, and that was because Rangers had, you know, that stretch from right before they lost in the League Cup to Ross County through the end of the season. They didn't drop any significant points in the league, but that was very lucky. Um, they they just in, in any other season, the vast majority of the time, if you just run Monte Carlo simulation of XG differentials, they probably you know, the vast majority of the time you're going to have a team that puts up those kind of differentials drop maybe 10, 12 more points than they did. So again, that's not saying that they wouldn't have won the league by a lot <laughs> uh, or that they were undeserving of it. It's, it's you know, a, a game like Hamilton where they got a draw where Hamilton, I think, was well over one in outperforming mm-hmm. them in XG. Uh, now, again, some of this is to their credit. They, you know, they had Alan McGregor. Uh, they made the decision to bring him back, and he's a difference maker, like a Forster in in you know winning points. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I think I was the first person to break this story, uh, even before the the, the journalists did, um, was that uh, relative to injuries, they invested in a, in, uh, a machine learning software package called. Uh, Zone 7 AI um, back in September. That's when I found out about it. And I also heard that Celtic looked at it and decided not to use it and license it. Um, And if you look at the clubs that have used this software, their soft tissue injuries have gone down like 80%. That is a decision that Rangers made. Mm -hmm. It wasn't luck that they had their injuries drop as much as they did soft tissue. And again, I think Ryan Jack, it hasn't been made public. I'm guessing Ryan Jack probably had like a meniscus problem. You know, when you have trauma injuries like, you know, Julian did, you're not going to prevent a guy, you know, when he rams his knee into a pipe (laughs) at velocity, you know, but we're talking about day-to-day fitness, fitness regimes, uh, managing workloads and customizing it based off of each player um, and using machine learning to do that. I mean, really sophisticated stuff. Well, you know, they did it and we didn't. And and mm-hmm. the output was, well, they had a lot more healthy players um, and performing at elite levels relative to their athleticism. Um, that was a decision they made. So is that an arbitrage that could get them to outperform their XG, right? X, XG is not all encompassing. XG is not determinative. It, it, it's a tool. Um, and, and I fully believe that, you know, this is a debate. Um, but my understanding of uh, analytics and is that, you know, there are ways to outperform. There are ways to systematically beat something like XG, I believe. But whether it's because of talent, a premium talent versus the opposition level or some of these other things like having fitter players, having players that can run faster for longer um, because they're training better, um, those types of things, whether as it, it, you know, Rangers did or you know, in other sports, you've seen PEDs enable these kinds of things. Um, so there are ways to kind of beat the system, so to speak, both um, fairly and, and unfairly. Um, so I, I, I could see a scenario where Roy Keane becomes the manager for Celtic if they keep the wage bill relatively steady and do an okay job on recruitment where Celtic, you know, lose the league by five points next season. Does that mean that it's a quote unquote better team or that they performed better than, and, and Rangers could perform better next season and, and not earn 102 points. Yeah. <laughs> they could, they could perform better next season and underlying metrics and win the league with 90 points. Right. So th- this, these are the kinds of things that, um, this is why we look at these the, these measurements and tools and, and and why analytics is its own domain. I mean, that you just can't look at these stats and say, oh, well, this means the obvious linear, you know, and, and, and um, so it's it's putting together a mosaic and trying to really understand um, what's going on. And, and so I, I fully expect I mean, that's I fully expect Rangers underlying performance metrics to get better next season, meaning that they didn't have a great year relative to XG differential, generally speaking. Um, so I'd be I'd actually be surprised if they don't get better. 
I'm surprised if Celtic doesn't get better for all the reasons that we've talked about. Now, what the relative uh, equation there is between those two is highly uncertain because there's so much uncertainty on the Celtic side right now, um, including what the wage bill is going to be, which I would say is is primary, which is where this how debacle could be even a bigger risk. Um, and then you have all this other stuff that's just completely uncontrollable, which people mm. – hate to try and think about and conceptualize, which is just luck variance, all these other things. I mean, it season by season, they have a huge impact on um, what, who wins a league and, yeah. and um, that'll be the case next season as well. Yeah. We're not saying that they didn't deserve to win it this year. What we're saying is, is this repeatable? And the probability would say it's probably not repeatable in the same manner that they did it depending on, how the rest of it but the the main thing i would say is that celtic need to control the controllables and that and that, that that was my criticism all season which is you, you, you there were so many uncontrollable risks heightened this season because of covid because of the pandemic because of a bunch of p- important players mm-hmm. in the last you know entering the last year of their contract mm-hmm. um because it being the 10 in a row and if the club didn't win the season, right, there's all of these things that entering the season were uncontrollable and then to, to pour lighter fluid on top of them and then to throw a match into it <laughs> at various points yeah. uh, willfully was crazy. I mean, this, yeah. uh, this, this is, you'd like to think, although today may be changing my parameters, you'd like to think last season was the, almost the worst version of Celtic you're going to see. Uh, and add, add into that, as James said, all of the variance is, is not going your way on top of that. And, and, and versus an opponent who, you know, I think is possibly the, the, the best version of the, they can be, you know, their form in Europe, their form in the SPFL was, was, was fantastic. They, they got the results they deserved in the SPFL. Can they repeat that? Can they maintain that standard? What other pressures are there there to come to bear? Can they get the, the positive variance? So I, I think I, I, that, that would be my my take on it. What the outcome would be next season, I'm not, I couldn't possibly say, but I'd be, I would be surprised if it was as wide as it was this season, but hey-ho, that'll come back to haunt me. <laughs> yeah, we, we shall see. We shall see. And hopefully, again, I'm wrapping another podcast by saying, hopefully we will know who our manager is. <laughs> in the next couple of weeks and we'll do a podcast then so uh yeah that was that was the season wrap from the huddle breakdown uh as you can see we're a bit flustered because of the news today so i don't know hopefully we might have some news next week to talk about and we might actually continue on this podcast and by the time that a manager arrives we'll be into a brand new season so we shall see i do want to give a big thank you to james and to alan for joining me for the podcast this year and of course a massive thank you to everybody who has listened, subscribed, watched, uh, tweeted us, sent in questions all throughout the year. It's been an absolute blast doing this podcast for the for the last season. I know we didn't do it from the very start, but the reception and the kind words that everyone has sent in has been absolutely phenomenal. So a big thank you to everyone who has listened over the course of the season. We will be back next season for another season of Celtic breakdowns and performance analysis and wondering what the hell we're going to do with our lives because Celtic are ruining it for us. Hopefully it'll be a little, a little bit more cheery next year. James, my thanks to you. Alan, my thanks to you. Thanks, Sander. All right, we'll chat to you next season.
me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast-forwards his favorite foreign film, Powder Donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh, man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm going to need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey guys, this is Gabby Douglas. If you have an active lifestyle like me, hydration is key. That's why I love the Hydration Watermelon Smoothie from Smoothie King. Blended with whole fruits, coconut water, and more electrolytes than some of the leading sports drinks. Hydration Watermelon is the cleaner way to hydrate with no artificial colors, flavors, or preservatives. So you can recover and perform at your peak ability during the summer heat. Order online or through the app for pickup or delivery. Smoothie King, rule the day. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.